0: notes and pens back there. There are also Bibles. Um, I know I got in trouble. I didn't get in trouble, but I told the students to pull out their electronic Bibles, and then all the teachers, again, they looked at me very harshly that I was telling them to use their phones when I did chapel the other day. But um, whether you have a phone, I like fanning through the pages. Like I think I was talking with one of the young adults in here, and like the Kindle e-readers, I can't do it. I like the The feel of paper. I like being able to like hold a book and read. Um, So my wife has been gracious enough to hold them in the house until I got an office and now I can put all my books in there. Um, But if you are with us tonight, tonight is the last night. We are are finishing the Gospel of John. Um, And I think it is only proper that we end the Gospel of John series, chapters 19 through 21, the week before we go into Easter. Um, As Jared was talking about, um, truly, we can't understand Easter if we don't understand this narrative, if we don't understand these last three chapters fully of where they're going to, what they're leading to, what all John was writing about points to is in these moments. And I love that John even gave us the reason that he wrote. John said in uh, John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in him, there is life in his name. Tonight, that's what we're hitting on. Tonight, we're hitting on that aspect of the fact that there is life in his name and his name alone. I think if we took a poll in here, most of you would say, Mitch, we've heard the gospel. We've surrendered our lives. We're here. Like, we're, we're living for Jesus. There might be some of you in here who have put their trust in a version of the gospel. That you might have been incorrectly taught. And then there's some of you in here who might have never even heard the gospel or have you heard it and you're just, you've, you've been turned off by it. You see how Christians have been acting and you just don't want anything to do with it. But tonight, that's what we're going to focus on. So if you are a believer and you have surrendered your life to the gospel and you're moving forward, I hope this is a good reminder for you of the cost of how we live. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, I pray tonight would be a challenge for you. I pray that you would be open to what you hear, whether you agree or disagree. But I pray that you would allow this time to at least be an open-minded moment for you. And I think, and I've I've started doing quotes, and I think they hit. Everyone's liked the quote so far, so I'm going to do another one for you tonight. And I think this quote really sets the tone for what we're about to go into. And it's a guy named Ian Hamilton, and he's a seminary professor and a theologian. So a bunch of fancy titles for a guy who just teaches and studies the Bible all day long. Um, And so this is what he says. And he's speaking on, if if I say, it is finished, how many of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about? Just the line, it is finished. He's talking about this moment on the cross with Jesus, and I think it sets a beautiful tone for where we're getting into. He says, it is Jesus's cry, more than anywhere else that we are given to see the sinfulness of sin. What must sin be if it took the God-forsakenness of God's own Son to atone for it? It is only really here that we come to have any sense of the sheer awfulness of sin. Our greatest problem is that we think of our sin horizontally, the mess that it makes of ourselves and others. But the real horror of sin is that is rebellion against our maker, it is a despising of his love, a defiance of his commands, and a repudiation of Jesus Christ in the cross. That was his, defin- his, his commentary on just those words, it is finished. So if you're with me tonight, we're going to be in John chapter 19, starting out verses 9 through 16. Last week, we covered Jesus starting to go on trial. He was with the high priest, and then he was with Pilate, right? He was with Pontius Pilate, and and, and we ended with Barabbas being set free, where Jesus remained silent when he could have spoken up, where he could have literally just set himself free. He remained silent and allowed Barabbas to go free, and so now we see, Here in verse nine, it starts off, it says, he went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him. I love that's his first time he speaks into the conversation. You would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From the moment, Pilate kept trying to release him, but the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are, no, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar's. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the stone pavement, but in Aramaic, it's Gabatha. You know, they have all the fun names. Um, Verse 14, it was the preparation day of the Passover. And that's key, and remember that. It was a preparation day of Passover. And it was about noon. Then he told the Jews, here is your king. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar the chief priests answered and they handed him over to be crucified. I break for Pilate. Pilate has literally struggled the whole entire time with saying, I find no reason to crucify this innocent man. I find no fault in what he has said and what he has done. You guys have brought no evidence to the contrary outside of your emotions and that you hate him. Pilate is struggling deep to the point where we see it played out. We see this is how our culture is today. Most people don't have a genuine reason for hating Jesus or the gospel. They just have emotions behind the reasons they might hate it. They don't have a valid reason. They just have their emotions behind it. Pilate claims to have authority over Jesus, and yet Jesus says what? You would have no authority at all if it was not given to you from above. Pilate sits in the official judgment seat, and yet we realize Jesus is the one who's about to take the cross and judge the sin of the world. The Jews claim Caesar as king, and yet their promised Messiah, they just hand over to be murdered. This is the struggle that we are entering into. This is reality. This is historical. This happened. The high priests literally sat there and said, We have no king but Caesar. But I love that Jesus, his big point in this was, You would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given to you from above. That means that Pilate was given authority by who? God the Father. That's what Jesus is directly saying in this, in this moment. And it highlights such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful reality for us. Why? Because when we look at Scripture, yeah, it's split up. You got the Old Testament. You got the New Testament. You got 66 different books. And yet, I didn't come up with this. Someone way smarter than I did made this statement. It is a progressive revelation of God's redemptive story to humanity. From Genesis to Revelation, that story is unfolded. No matter where you go in the Old Testament, you will pick up that narrative and that flow of the cross. You will see the gospel being played out. Genesis 3.15, everyone calls it the Proto-Evangelion, or the first gospel. Because Jesus makes the claim against the snake and says, you will bruise the son of the woman's heel, but he will crush your head. In the garden, we were painted the picture of the crucifixion. In the Psalms, like Psalms 2, Psalm 69, Psalm 78, we recount plenty of God being faithful to save his people. So we know that there's redemption being played out for God and by God. We also see that salvation is of the Lord. We see that the Messiah to come would talk in parables, and we all know that Jesus loved to talk in parables. And we see birth narrative all through the Psalms as well of the Messiah, of the virgin birth, of locations where he would be. I love Isaiah. Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 61 are all messianic prophecies, and they're specific about his birth. They're even specific about how he would be a lamb led to slaughter, how he would remain silent as he did with Barabbas. We see all these pictures in the prophets, even Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, talk about this new covenant. And this new covenant would have the forgiveness of sins, the changing of hearts, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus Christ, the one that we've learned all throughout John already about. The one who said, is it easier to tell someone to get up and walk or to tell someone that their sins are forgiven? That's who we're talking about, and we saw it from Genesis all the way through to the prophets. Just in the Old Testament alone, we saw there was a need for a Messiah, and there was a promised Savior coming. But sadly, what we see come to light in this passage that we just read is that the Jews obviously hated the Romans, because the Romans just came over and take o- took over their land and, and put a whole bunch of... Uh, Hindrances on them, hence why they could only like stone people occasionally. And the Jews had, or the Romans had to be the ones to do the crucifixions. They had to be the ones that could do the death penalty. The Jews couldn't even do it themselves. And yet their hatred for who Jesus was and claimed to be was strong enough to bring them together. And we think that's pretty crazy that people hate each other, but they hate this person more. And yet we see that Jesus says, if it was not given to you from above. God worked through man's hatred. God was working for our salvation through the hatred of these people. Through the cold hearts of the Romans and the Jews. And so if you're with me in verse 16, we see what happens next. So to finish off verse 16, going to 17, it says, Then they took Jesus away as they handed him over to be crucified. They say, Then they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself... He went out to what was called the place of the skull, which again in Aramaic was called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. They crucified Jesus. And there's a beautiful picture of this again to show you that this was foretold to us in the Old Testament. Isaac, his father was leading him up a hill to go be a sacrifice. That promised son to Abraham. That was, they were beyond birthing years or whatever you want to call it. They, things weren't working too well, and yet God promised the son who came and then said, take him and sacrifice him. Isaac was carrying the wood that he was going to be laid on. And yet, most of us know the story. God intervened, seeing the faithfulness in Abraham, and provided the scapegoat. And prophetically looked forward to the cross where Jesus, our Savior, carried this exact thing that he was going to be put to death on. We see again that correlation But we also saw this. We saw that Jesus was crucified with two others. If you read the other gospel narratives, we know that they were criminals. One of them was a staunch butthead who died stubborn and died without the Savior. And the other one who said, do you not realize that this man is the Lord? And looked at Jesus and said, please remember me when you go to paradise. Guess which one of the two was remembered? The one who realized who Jesus Christ was when he was hanging on the cross. Jesus was hung with the transgressors. Why? Again, to fulfill scripture. We were told that he would be counted like one of us. He was getting murdered amongst just the regular common folk. Against people who were, as they claimed, worthy of the death penalty, Jesus was there amongst them. This is what I love the most about the truth that we have in Scripture. Our way of being able to get to heaven, our way of having a right relationship with God the Father is through Jesus Christ alone. And it wasn't just like Thanos had a snap of a finger, something happened. It was through his humanity that he was fully God, fully man. He took the cross. He felt the nails. He gasped for air. He was hung up and left to suffocate, knowing full well what he was doing and ultimately accomplishing. I, like I said, I actually I, I cut down. Normally, I know we go, we go hard, and I do a lot of reading. Um, I, I decided there was someone way better than me that could explain the gospel story. Because, again, what I think, and I, and I know for myself, I have to remind myself a lot of the time, too, what the gospel is. So don't, please, before we even start this video, if you're just going, I'm zoning out because I've heard this story multiple times. I know what Christianity is. I know what Jesus Christ came to do. Get that out of your heart and your head now. Watch this with a fresh heart, a fresh mind, fresh ears. Because whether you need a reminder or you need to understand what the gospel truly is, He explains it, and then we'll finish off afterwards again. But just watch this with me, and we'll go from there.
1: There are so many people in the world today that have heard about Jesus or about Christianity or about the church. And one of the things that I think brings the greatest degree of pain to my heart, is that although they've heard those words, they don't truly understand what Christianity is all about or truly understand who Jesus is or what he has done. Sometimes people maybe are browsing through the internet or they may be browsing through the TV and come across some TV evangelist Um, screaming and ranting or doing all sorts of things supposedly in the power of God or are asking for money and that brings a great pain to the true Christian's heart because it is one thing, it is a pain to know that there are people who do not know Jesus. It is a greater pain to know that oftentimes Jesus and Christianity is being distorted so that many people harden their heart against a Jesus, a Christ, a Christianity that is not the true version of it. Sometimes I just want to, you know, you would love to have a meeting with each and every person like that to be able to explain to them what Christianity truly is and what the gospel truly is so that if they do reject it, at least they're rejecting what it is or if they do accept it, at least they're accepting the true version of it. What is Christianity? Well, I guess the answer is found in the name, Christianity. It has to do with the person of Christ. Now, what is Christ? Well, it's an English version of a Greek term that uh, represents actually a Hebrew idea, a Hebrew promise. And that is the promise of a Messiah, of an anointed one, a deliverer. The Bible begins in the book of Genesis with God creating man and this world, and it was good. But then, maybe beyond our comprehension, but nonetheless true, we understand that sin entered into this world, rebellion against God, which led to a separation between a righteous and loving God, and a sinful and oftentimes hateful man. And this division between God and man led to also the great division between man and man so that the world you see around you today is the result of the fall of man. It is the result of sin. It it doesn't matter if you create some sort of political utopia. It doesn't matter if materialism abounds in everyone's home we are never going to escape the reality of our sin and our separation from God. Now, the great question of Christianity, the great question of the Scriptures, the Bible, is this. If God is holy and can have nothing to do with sin, if God is righteous and must always come against sin, then how could we ever be reconciled to God? The Bible teaches in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now you can argue with my terminology, but you can't argue with the truth of it. We see evil in this world. If you don't believe what I'm saying, simply turn on the news or read your newspaper or study something of human history and you will see that it is a history of humans doing horrible things to humans, of sin abounding, of ruin, of nations being lifted up and nations being destroyed, of peoples being oppressed, of violence occurring for no apparent reason. It's the result of sin. How can sinful man be reconciled to a just God whose justice demands that they be punished? The answer is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that God is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that to bring about the salvation of man, God would do something miraculous, outstanding, unspeakable, incomprehensible. He would show us his love and he would do so by doing this. In his righteousness, he condemns our evil. But in his love, God becomes a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, a historical person, God intervening into human history. And this Jesus of Nazareth lived the perfect life that you and I could never live, could never live, have never lived. And then he goes to a cross. Now, most of you know about the Roman cross. You've probably seen movies about it. But how Jesus was nailed there and a crown of thorns was placed on His head and all of this was done for our sin. But what's impossible to show, even in the best of movies, is that it took more than the physical death of Christ to pay for our sins. On the cross, our sins were laid upon Him and then all the punishment of a holy and righteous God fell upon the head of God the Son. He suffered it to its fullness, and then right before He died, He cried out, It is finished, which means paid in full. We owed a debt to God because of our sin, and that debt was suffering eternal punishment. But on the cross, God Himself, He took our place, bore our sin, and suffered the wrath of God that we deserve. He extinguished it. He put it away. And on the third day He rose again from the dead. Then He ascended up into heaven and this Jesus, the Son of God, sat down at the right hand of God. And now the Bible teaches that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no man comes to the Father except through Him. That there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You see, the Christian is the only person, the true Christian, who can say that they're going to heaven without being self-righteous. Why? In other religions, how do you get to heaven? You get to heaven by being good, by earning it. In Christianity, you're not reconciled to God through your own virtue or merit, but you're reconciled to God through the virtue and merit of His Son. If I died right now, I have great assurance of being reconciled, being being accepted to God. Why? Because 2000 years ago, the Son of God died in the place of this sinner and paid my debt. I do not trust in myself, my good works, my church, my religious duties. It is Christ alone. And you say, well, you don't understand. I've sinned so much. We've all sinned so much. But his death is more powerful than any sin we could have committed. His death is sufficient to pay for all your sins. You say, well, what must I do, you know, to be be saved? The Bible says you don't have to do some heroic feat like climbing up to heaven or descending down into hell. But believe, trust in Jesus Christ. Abandon all hope in your good works. Abandon all hope in your your religiosity, and trust in the person and work of Christ on your behalf. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the promise of God to the greatest of sinners.
0: John chapter 19 verse 28 through 30 it says this after this when Jesus knew that everything was now finished that the scriptures might be fulfilled he said I'm thirsty a jar full of sour wine was sitting there so they fixed it with a sponge full of the sour, sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished bowed his head and gave up his spirit See, I wanted you to remember that this was the preparation day of Passover where hyssop was used heavily in a lot of the remembrance meals and a lot of the dishes that they did. Hyssop was a, was a very prominent proponent to Passover meal for the Passover lamb because it was the blood of the lamb that they smeared on the doors in Egypt that saved their household. They had faith And in that faith, they acted and put that blood on the door, and and the angel of death came across and, and passed over those homes. Just as now Christ, drinking from that hyssop branch, died as our sacrificial lamb to pay for our sins. But I also love because for regular people, they did give him a watered-down wine to kind of neutralize the pain during crucifixion. They had somewhat of a conscience, I guess. But for Jesus, it wasn't a watered-down wine. It was a sour wine. It had turned sour. It had lost its, its touch because Jesus was fully cognizant. Jesus was fully aware of what he was doing people try to teach that Jesus was hallucinating or Jesus was drunk from the wine or Jesus was X, Y, and Z to nullify the power of the gospel. But we know that sour wine wasn't the type of wine nor was it a sip of a sponge that was going to get him tipsy. It was there so that he could be cognizant enough to say that it is finished. To fulfill the To fulfill the scriptures. We learned about it. Our good shepherd said he would lay down his life for his sheep. That he willingly would give his life for his sheep. Our eternal Passover lamb sealed the requirements of sin's cost. What Passover picture Jesus just fulfilled. That redemption. And unfortunately, in our day and age, people have spiritualized and created these different sects of what they consider to be Christianity still to the point where they tweak the gospel. They want to make it more tangible for themselves so they can feel better of fitting it into their lives. But we see that the gospel is no illusion. We see that the resurrection was no, nothing other than Jesus truly resurrecting bodily. And if you're with me, John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. It says but Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she was crying she stooped to look into the tomb she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus body had been laying and one at the head and the other at where the feet were they said to her woman why are you crying because they have taken away my lord she told them and i do not know where they have put him but having said this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not know it was Jesus woman jesus said to her why are you crying who is it that you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener. Great. Um, she replied, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will take him away. This is the best part in miss verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said in Aramaic, Rabbonai, which means teacher. And then 17, do not cling to me. Jesus told her, "Since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God." Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, "I have seen the Lord," and she told them what she had said to her, or what he had said to her. So many people claim that you know Jesus just rose spiritually. It was just Jesus' spirit that came back to the disciples. It was it was this spiritual resurrection. This, this divine mysticism that we can turn into weird, cultish, occult ways that we can, we can control now. But if I simply spiritualize the resurrection, if I simply just claim it was Jesus' deity, right? His body died for our sake and it was done. He was done with it. I nullify all power that the gospel has. If I do not believe that Jesus rose physically, why in the world would I want to believe in someone to then save me eternally that couldn't even rise physically from the dead? He had to literally conquer the consequences of sin. He had to be Lord over them all, literally. I don't want a half-baked Savior. There's enough of those in the world today. We want the genuine scripture fulfilling person that says, after when Jesus knew that everything was fulfilled and finished in scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. Jesus knew that he had fulfilled the scriptures. And this is the best part of the account is Jesus called and she recognized. I love that it, did, it didn't, it wasn't the woman that made her realize. It was when he said, Mary. She turned around and immediately said, Rabboni. She realized who it was when the good shepherd called the sheep home. He said, Mary. That is salvation. The personal and intimate call of God put forth through his son, Jesus Christ, to us as sinners, to know that in him alone, There is eternal life. Just as he said when he raised Lazarus from the dead, I am the resurrection and the life. He meant it when he physically rose himself three days later. Physically from the grave. Sorry. John 21, 25 is the last scripture we're going to read. And I love that the Holy Spirit led John to say this. In verse 25 it says, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which, if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Why is that? It's because John was being not exhaustive, but selective in what he wrote. Why? Because we know that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to write down exactly what we needed to hear from John's point of view. He knew that John was going to write the seven I am statements. He knew that John was going to be very logical. He knew that John was going to be very straightforward with the Scripture fulfilled that Jesus Christ had done. He worked through the person of John and who he created John to be to write this gospel the way he did. And I'll hearken you back to the verse that I read when we opened up in John 20, 31. It says, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in him, there is a life in his name. That's what John said he wrote this gospel for. So when we go into our groups tonight, when you guys discuss and talk and break down, whether it's the questions on there or you have something burdening your heart even more from this. I want to reiterate what Paul said, not Paul, but Paul. Paul did write some of these actually, it's in Romans, but anyways, we're all sinners. We are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And we are told that the penalty of that sin is death physically and spiritually, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23. And then we are told if we believe in our hearts that Jesus died and rose again, and with our mouth confess that he is Lord, we shall be saved. Romans 10, 9, and 11. And this is my favorite. All of it's my favorite, but this part really just gives the capstone. Because I think people in here question who the gospel's for, like he said, that you've sinned too much. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved, Romans 10, 13. Anyone who calls on the name. And like I said, that call's still going out today. To every single sinner in this room, including the one standing on this stage, that gospel call goes forth. It's an intimate call it's a personal call it's an eternal call to say surrender your life to me like john 3:16 you shall have eternal life i want to leave you with these three points or two points sorry i got ahead of myself point number 1 is regardless of how messed up we are or how many times we mess up god's love is greater if you think you're too far gone To have a relationship with Jesus, you're not. We know from other accounts that he shed every single drop of blood to pay the price. He didn't hold one drop back. He didn't go, 99%, they got to get the one. He said, no, I gave 100% of who I was physically and spiritually for this. And number two, salvation is complete in Jesus. And if he completes it, he can and will keep it eternally. Do not question the reality of what Jesus does through the gospel. As Pastor Jeff says, if you are his, I love that. I love that he always says, if you are his, it's only through Jesus claiming me as his own that I now can claim Jesus. He is Lord. And guys, tonight, if you need to break off, and talk to someone one-on-one. If you need to talk to me, if you want to talk to someone you know just has their act together on the gospel, pull them aside. Talk to them. Don't think you're obligated to just have to do the questions because that's what this time is for. If you are eternally struggling with what was just preached to you, of what was just displayed for you on that movie, if you are, if you are struggling with Jesus Christ and what he came to do on this earth, do not leave here struggling leave here talking to one of us, being able to work through it and work it out and ask the hard questions. Because nothing, as he said in the video, nothing in this world matters more than your eternal stance with a righteous and holy God. And it is through his perfectly balanced love that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. I'm going to pray and then We can go into groups. Like I said, the questions are back there. Bibles are back there. Pens are back there. Um, But we'll pray and then we'll go into that time. And I also encourage you, if you're sitting with a bunch of people you know, tonight's probably the best night ever to sit with people you might not know because God might have knowledge given to you that they might need to hear. You might have a perspective they need. Or you might need something from them. (laughs) Let's bow. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this moment in time where, again, I pray none of this is me. I pray none of this is Paul Washer. I pray that all of it is your word. All of it is your truth. And I pray that they are, we're all challenged, whether it's to remind ourselves of what your son did on the cross or to hear it afresh to the point where it convicts us. But God, this is the whole reason any of us are even in this room is because of we are either curious or we are encouraged by Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that the questions lead to good conversations, and I pray that you just pound hearts tonight. I pray that you rip them to shreds, stone-cold hearts, ripped to shreds to be given warm ones, new ones, like you say in the new covenant, Lord, forgiven hearts. We are all sinners, and yet you showed your love to us that yet while we were still sinners, you sent your son to die on the cross. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray this all in your son's name,
1: Jesus. Amen.